Yeah, so if that's yours, you should probably get that. That sounds really important. <laughs> well, I am so blessed to be here. Do I get to take one of these waters now? Since I'm up here? That's what they're there for, right? Like you said, it really is a testament to how much, not only that I love you guys, but also how much you love me. And it means so much, and it always has, always has, since I was an awkward little 14-year-old girl coming in here for the first time, <laughs> at how much you guys really have taken me in and under your wing. And I honestly, 100%, without a doubt, can say that I know I would not be where I am. I definitely wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for my church family because you guys really are my family. And when I didn't have, when I didn't feel like I had that to go to, you were there for me. So thank you. I appreciate all of you so much. Well, tonight I will be preaching from the title, From the Bottom of Your Heart. You can be seated. I'm not going to make you stand. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could, if you have your Bibles with you, go to 1 John chapter 2. We will be reading verses 3 through 6. And while you are going there, and while they're getting that up on the screen, I just want to say thank you again to Pastor for giving me this privilege and honor. I do not take it lightly for sure. And I, once again, am so thankful to be standing here with you all tonight and serving with you. So, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If you could bow your heads with me and pray. Jesus, we thank you so much once again for your goodness, for your mercy, that you are a good and a gracious God. And Lord, we come humbly tonight to respond to you, to hear from you, Jesus, to worship you with the way that we do respond. And I pray, God, that you would be active in every part of the remainder of this service. Lord, it is all for your glory. We pray your kingdom come, God. Your will be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I've never been more jealous of a person than I was then. I wanted to be her so badly. I wanted her friends, her charisma, her talents, her pretty dresses, her singing skills. Some just get it all, I thought. Or at least that's what I thought when I was five and I was watching the Shirley Temple dance and sing along in my living room. <laughs> yeah, I was her most faithful fan, I promise you. But the seeds of both my adoration and my jealousy were planted in me the day that my mom popped in that sing and dance along just to get some quiet around the house. But little did she know, I would shortly become obsessed with it and obsessed with Shirley Temple. I had to have all of the movies. I watched them all, knew them all by order, knew them all word for word. 
<laughs> I probably, I'm sure if I popped that thing in now, I could still sing with it. It's embarrassing. But this little childhood actress, this little girl, little curly-headed girl, became my definition of success and everything that I wanted to be in life. I, I'm not kidding you guys. I vividly remember sitting on my couch and I cried real tears because I wanted to be her so bad. Because I wanted, I thought she was so cute and pretty and so talented and I was so jealous. But also I loved her. But I watched that movie so many times that I tried to impersonate her, act like her, do the things she did. It was a mess. And then the day that I found out she was like 75 and not actually my age <laughs> killed me. <laughs> But it's okay. I didn't need to know that then. <laughs> Amen. The first three verses of the Hebrew Shema found in Deuteronomy 6 reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. The Israelites memorized this prayer, and per the direction of God, quoted it every morning and evening when they sat in their houses, when they went throughout their days, when they ate their meals, when they were with their kids, when they were working on their jobs, or whatever it was back then. They even wore it around their wrists and in between their eyes, and they put it on every door frame that was in their homes and that they would pass by daily. And these things each served as a visual reminder and cue of the commandments that the Lord gave them through Moses. And the Lord knew that his people, he created them, and he knew what was in their hearts, and he knew what they, being human beings, would be swayed to and persuaded to by the temptations that were within them. He knew that there were things in their brain that their eyes would see and that they would be tempted to go and stray away from him and from truly worshiping him and loving him with their heart. So he commanded Moses to command them to have these things, to teach first, to teach it diligently to their children every day, every time they walk through their house to bind it as a sign on their hands, as I said and as I read. And he even later commanded Moses to even tie a blue thread on their clothes, at the end of their clothes, so that every day they would see that and they would remember the commandments of the Lord. But not only so that they would remember his commandments, but that they would remember what he had just brought them out of. He had just brought them out of the land of Egypt which was a land of slavery, sorrow, and hardship, to establish them as his chosen people and to establish himself over them as their God, as their holy God, and he wanted to be in holy covenant with them because he loved them. Furthermore, the call to remember his commandments was a call, as I said, to be holy for him, to live, walk, and talk as they were his people. Deuteronomy 10 12 through 13 is an account of the Lord giving Moses later instruction for the people. 
and it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. What is the heart? When we're not referencing science, we as westernized American thinkers like to use the heart to describe our feelings and our emotions. We're very emotional people, and we feel a lot of big feelings, as we say in daycare. <laughs> you're crying, you're mad for no reason, you're feeling a big feeling right now. <laughs> We tell each other when our friend is confiding in us, you know, just follow your heart, girl, which really means follow your instinct or do what you feel you need to do, what feels right to you. We use the heart to describe how we feel about certain things or people. And we even use the heart to describe deep sorrow or letdown by referencing it as a heartbreak. To us, the heart is symbolic of feeling, but to the ancient Jewish people, the heart was much more than this. Due to their lack of actual scientific evidence and study, they didn't know what organs we had inside of us. They didn't know what the brain was. They didn't know what a spleen was, but they knew what the heart was because of their Egyptian embalming practices. But the heart to them could be explained in four different sections that all made up one organ or part of their being. And these four sections were the physical, which is the obvious physical bump, 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 bump of the heart, the thoughts, the emotions, and choices. They believed that your choices are instigated by your desires, which is true, amen? Essentially, the heart is the center of all human existence. It's where your affections are centered. So, for the commandments of the Lord to be in their heart, as their Shema explains, God was expecting their affections to be centered around his word, around his commandments, around his holiness, his word was to constantly be the center of their entire existence, almost as if they lived and breathed it, or as if it was a part of them. I mean, can you imagine, it says, to teach it to your children, and it lists, literally, like, all day long, you're supposed to be thinking of this, and they were quoting it constantly, and looking at it constantly, everywhere that they went, everywhere, every time that they raised their hand to check the time or whatever, it was there, you know? It was so important to God that his people knew his word. And not only that they knew it, but that it defined them and it defined their choices, their desires, and their makeup as people. According to our passage in 1 John chapter 2, it is he or she who keeps his commandments who can say that they know him. It's not enough to know what the word says, but we must know it with our heart. 
We must love it more than anything else. Philosophers of old thought the mind to be the center of all human action. They would say, and still do, your thoughts determine your choices, which determine your actions and your beliefs. What you think is what you become, they say. However, James K.A. Smith offers in his book, You Are What You Love, that we indeed are not thinking beings, as these philosophers believed, but rather we are loving beings. We are not made up of our brain and our thoughts and our decisions, but we are made up of our desires and our affections because those are the things that determine our choices, which determine our actions and our beliefs. You are what you love. However, the author always also goes on to say that you are what you love, but you do not always love what you think. And you can determine what it is you truly love by examining your outflow, your actions, your beliefs, the words that come out of your mouth. As Pastor mentioned last week, if I love football, then chances are I'm going to be involved in it in some way, right? So like he said, if I see you out there throwing a football every Sunday, I can assume that you love football. I do not, but if you do, you do you. If I love my job, then I'm probably going to be a decent employee and represent the company well inside and outside of my workplace. If I love my family, I will go on trips with them and take time to spend with them and set apart and converse with them and talk about their day. And if I love his commandments, I will portray the image of Christ. If his commandments are truly in my heart, then my affections will be centered around them, and my life will embody this. Verse 4 of our text says, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. It sounds kind of harsh to be called a liar, but that's what the Bible says. If I say that I know God, but I do not keep his commandments in my heart, I am a liar, and the truth is not in me. If I do keep his word, then it says the love of God is perfected in me, meaning I am like him. So if we're wanting to know whether or not we really love the word like we think we do, as the saying goes, you are what you love, but you don't always love what you think. If we want to know if we really do, I believe that that is the answer right there that we just read. We can ask ourselves, is God's love being perfected in me? Does my love for the word, for the things of God, for the ways of God, for the things that he tells me to do even when I don't want to do it, does that go beyond good intentions? We have a lot of good intentions, especially where we live in our Christianized American society. We have 
a lot of good intentions. I believe wholeheartedly that the world is made up of good people, good Christian people who love God and who want to honor him. So if I asked for a show of hands right now of who loved God, every hand would go up. If I asked who loves the word of God, every hand would go up, or else why would you be here? But if I asked for a show of hands of who spent more minutes in his word this week than they did on social media or watching football, then the number of hands up might drop a little bit. And this isn't a jab because I'm guilty too, but it's just a call to self-examination. Have you guys checked the screen time on your phone lately? If it has that feature, it's scary. It's <laughs> really scary. It's made me want to cry a couple times. I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I need to repent right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's really easy to do. It's so easy to get distracted. That is why the Lord had his people have these constant visual cues and reminders to stay grounded and to stay in his word and to keep loving him and serving him because he knew that we're people and things are going to come up and we're going to get distracted and we're going to do things that we never wanted to do, you know? We're people. But even still, I don't want to just live my life in an attempt to know about God. But I want to know him. I want to know him with all of my being, with my heart, with my physical being, with my thoughts, with my emotions, with my choices. I want to say confidently that I love him. In every relationship, there's a point where we move from the surface level to a place of actual depth. This is where we shift from tell me more about you questions to more fulfilling and meaningful conversations that bring a sense of connection and belonging to the relationship. When you're first getting to know someone, you kind of don't really want to ask those awkward, deep questions, you know. You don't want to just, like, assume that you know what they're thinking because, you know, things can get really awkward really fast. So you just stick with, like, the basic, where are you from, what's your favorite color, uh, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> yeah, that's cool, me too, no way. But when you start to get to know someone, you really get to know them. And you know their ins and outs. You know what makes them tick. You know what makes them angry. You know what makes them happy. You know their little quirks and the things that they do that most people don't notice. And you know and you understand their desires, their wants, and their needs. On top of this, the more time that we spend with someone in relationship, the more that we begin to take on who they are as a person. And it doesn't happen knowingly. It just happens when you're surrounding yourself with someone, their little quirks and nuances and their personality, you know, and their character traits, they begin to affect you and you kind of 
start to blend. It happens in friends. It happens between parents and children. That's why so many times you look at a kid and you're like, oh my goodness, are you your mom right now? I'm so confused. <laughs> like you look like you're five, but you're talking like you're 35, so what's going on? <laughs> it happens in spouses. It happens in coworkers. But when we enter into a relational knowledge with Christ, we begin to take on who he is. By this, we know that we are in him, the Bible says. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Others should be able to recognize that we walk with God consistently. We shouldn't have to tell them, oh, I serve God. I'm a Christian. I know God. I go to this church. We shouldn't have to say that with our words and them not know it automatically because if we truly, truly know him, then we will become like he is. Others need to be able to recognize that we walk with God because without it, how will they know? How will the world know that the God we talk about, that we converse about and claim to serve and claim to study and know, how will they know that he wants to be in actual relationship with them? How will they know that it goes beyond just memorizing verses here and there or claiming that you're part of a church? Those are all very important things. But a real relationship, a raw relationship with God goes so much deeper than that. And if we do not walk with God consistently and have his commandments in our heart, if we do not know him, then how will they know that he wants to bring them out of their own Egypt and make them his people? The world is hurting so badly right now. And we all have our own Egypt, a place of sorrow and pain and places that we choose to not go back to if we can. And some people are still living in that because they don't know. So we have to keep our entire beings centered around his commandments so that our words align with our actions and our desires lead us to knowing Christ rather than just knowing of him. I don't just want to be a person that talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. I want God to be able to say of me that I know him, that I love him, and that I have kept his commandments in my heart. Amen? We have to do this so that the world can see that we are in him and that he is in us. And that they are invited to this same relationship. God doesn't just give us commandments. You know, Brother Chester was talking about Leviticus this weekend. And when you read through that, and you read through the Old Testament law, yes, it can seem a little monotonous and boring. But... What I love so much about each of those books is that when you're reading through it, each one is so thought out 
and it's so specific to their time and their people and what they faced. And each one was given, first of all, for a purpose, but then also because all that God wanted was for his people to serve him and to show him that they loved him enough to follow the monotonous commands of everyday life. And so I love reading those books, and I love reading the Shema because it reminds me that the God that I talk about and the God that I study about and the God that I hear about and that I serve is so much more than just a giant ball of laws and rules, but he is a personable God that wants to walk with me daily, that wants to love me and wants me to love him. And the world needs to know this as well. They need to know that they're not alone, that they have a relationship to fall back on and to go to and to cling to every day. As I close, I'd like to reread the first three verses of the Shema and continue on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all of your heart and your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass in your field for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain. And the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. If it's not, if what is in my heart is not his commandments, if it's not a love for him, for his word, for his people, the Bible tells me that I'm not in him and that I do not truly know him. I want to love the word. I want to know it. I want to know it beyond just being able to quote it 
and tell people that I read it. But I want to know its meaning for my life. I want to have it in my heart every day. I want to be able to think back to his goodness of what he brought me out of, of the testimony that he's given me. I want to be effective in reaching his people. I want them to know that he wants them, that he already knows them and loves them with a perfect love, the Bible says. As we stand, I ask you, do you know what's really in your heart? I think a lot of us think we do, but when's the last time we actually checked? When's the last time you opened up your screen time app? When's the last time you looked through your bank account? Maybe you're here tonight and you do know that your priorities have become misaligned. We don't ever mean to, and we don't ever want to. But sometimes we do. We place God behind other things, and we unknowingly forget to love him. And we move on to other things. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's friends and family. Maybe it is the frivolous things that come with day-to-day -day life. Maybe it's your Instagram, your social media, football, your hobbies and interests. I don't know. Maybe it's sin and things that you know are in your life that are pulling you away from God and it breaks your heart that you do it and that it's happening, but... When is the last time that you checked and examined what you are putting in your heart? Whatever it is, I want to remind you that you, we all, are an Egypt people. We are all people that God has brought out and called to be his own. His only desire is that we would submit our hearts to him and serve him with our entire being because he wants to know us. He wants us to know him. If we don't know him, how can we know how much he truly loves us? And how can we know how much he truly loves them if we don't know him? How can we say that we're in relationship with him? I want to know you, Jesus. I don't just want to know about you. I want my affections to be centered around you, God. Every choice every decision that I make. I want it to be because I love you.
not because I love the things that you've given me or because I love the things I think I deserve, not even because I love my good intentions, but God, I want it to be because deep down I love you. I love your word. I love who you are, God. If that is your prayer tonight, or if you're not sure, if it's been a minute since you really examined your heart and the things that you love, I invite you to come to these altars tonight and to take a few minutes. Ask God, show me what is in my heart. Show me what I really love. If it's not what I think, then show me what it really is, God. Because I have to love you above everything else. I have to have your commandments in my heart, written in my heart, Lord. I have to know you so that the world can know you, Jesus. So that they can know you more than just a God of rules and regulations. Even though those things are important to you, God. You give us those things because you love us and because you want to protect us. Because you want us to know you and because you want us to know your heart, God. You want us to know what you're truly about. To be in relationship with you, Jesus. Show me, Lord, where I am weak. You Show me what I love, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my only dawn. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that. 